This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Somebody who is going to wonderfully appear up on the screen any moment. Now, I'm going to ask you, do you know who this guy is? It's not Chuck Norris, no. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Okay, well, the fact is, for a long time in this guy's life, for quite a long time, he didn't know who he was. Let me tell you his story. In 2004, in Georgia, he was found naked, and it looked like he'd been beaten behind a Burger King by an employee. He was taken to hospital where he was named as Burger King Doe. And the medical staff um, realised he was suffering from severe amnesia. So he did not know his name. He didn't have a clue who he was. And he became the first man listed by the FBI as a missing person whose whereabouts were actually known. So there was a massive TV, social media, newspaper campaign. They got the best medical experts involved, all trying to jog his memory and find out who he was. They didn't know his name, his story, his history. They didn't know who his parents were, his family, if he had any children. They didn't know what his job was. Basically, Burger King Doe couldn't move forward because he didn't know who he was. He couldn't move on with his life because he didn't know who he was. Now, 10 years later, this is a true story, by the way. So if you want to Google it, feel free. Over 10 years later, with amazing advanced ge genetic testing, they were able to determine his ancestral bloodline so they could pinpoint his family. And they found some family members and they discovered who he was. This is 10 years later. That's crazy, isn't it? And his name is William Burgess Powell. So they found out his name. They found some family members. They were able to claw back some details of his identity and who he was. But imagine this happening to you. Now, hopefully you'd say, oh, but everybody knows who I am. But just imagine for you forgetting who you are. Imagine that level of amnesia that you don't know your name. You don't know where you belong, what you did, your identity. You're stuck. You're not able to move on because you don't know who you are. But the truth is, often in our walk with God, we forget who we are. Sometimes we reject what God says over us and who we are in him. We get stuck. We can't move on or forward. We can't fulfill our calling. And often it's the enemy who's robbing us of our true identity, which can only be found in Christ. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you already know the topic of what we're speaking about and you think, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. That is great. But maybe, maybe God just wants to give you a fresh sense of who you are in him. But maybe today you haven't asked God into your heart. You're not a Christian and today, God wants to tell you just how he sees you. So our identity is defined as the qualities and beliefs that distinguish who we are. It's the core of who we are. Burger King Doe didn't know who he was. All we do and say stems from our confidence in who we believe we are 
or are not. When we accept Christ as our saviour, we're given a new identity. The old is gone. We're a new creation. And if we reject that truth of our identity in him, we're left defining ourselves by movable things, the experiences we have, the people that are in our lives, opinions, our bank accounts, our ability. But Christ is in us. We need to see who we are through the redeeming power of the cross. So who does God say you are? My lovely husband is going to come read God's word to us. The scripture is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 10. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn there. Should hear more rustling of pages. Come on, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, starting at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Thank you, James. So we're going to look at five ways that God sees us. I know there's so many more Um, ways in the Bible, so many um, names that God calls us and how he sees us, but we're just going to look at five today. Shall we pray? God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a miracle-working God. We thank you, God, that you are the God of the impossible, and we worship you, Father, today. God, we just thank you for your word we pray that we may saturate ourselves in your word today, in the scriptures that we, we read together, Father. And we pray that we may know today in a new way, for, Father, or maybe for the first time, who you say we are. We thank you, God, and we pray that you be with us in your wonderful name. Amen. just that came to mind is um, a lot of the scriptures that we're looking at today are, um, you know, when you maybe grew up in Sunday school and they'd be memory verses, scriptures that you know really well. Um, A lot of those scriptures are probably like that today, or um, a lot of songs are based on these scriptures. I'll try not to sing them. Um, But even in those scriptures that you know well and have heard before, just let God bless you anew with them and let him speak to you afresh. Okay, so our five ways. God says you are completely accepted. We've all felt rejection at some point, 
friendships as children, maybe as adults. You were either the first person to be chosen for a sports team. You were probably the last, maybe in the middle. In relationships, in the workplace, missed promotions, maybe you've been fired. We've all had times when we've looked for, chased after, and worked towards acceptance. But thankfully, we don't have to chase after God's acceptance. Here are three ways that he tells us we're accepted through his word. Firstly, back in our scripture in verse 9, before everything, he knew you and he chose you. Ray brought that word this morning. That was so wonderful. God chose you. It wasn't like, oh, he's okay, he's okay, she's okay. God chose you before the world began. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the world began to be holy and blameless in his sight. You know, um, I did grow, just and a little aside from this, I did grow up in Pentecostal church, and there was a lot of amening and hallelujahs and praise the lords and whoops. I'm not asking for that for me, but if there's a scripture or something that you think is excellent, please amen it. It is encouraging to have, so uh, please do that if, if you think it's a really good one. Yes, thank you. Another Pentecostal over there. Before creating molding solar systems before flinging stars into space, creating oceans teemed with life and plants filled with fruit. God chose you. He made us who we are to show the world who he is. We're a chosen people pointing others to him. Secondly, we know we're completely accepted because it's a gift from God. God's acceptance isn't based on our performance. It's before we do anything. In Titus it says, but when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God not only accepts us and our uniqueness, he has a plan and a place for it. He rejoices over us with singing. He delights in us. You know, when I've had each one of my boys, when they're first born, they don't really do a lot. I mean, you know, apart from cry, poop, and what's the other one they do a lot? Eat, yeah. Oh, yeah, and eat. But we still love them with such a love, even though they're not doing anything fun yet. They're not really doing a lot. How much more does our Father in heaven love us before we do anything? It's not based on our performance. It's a gift. I don't have to compare what I have, what I do, or what I carry with anyone else. He's delighted in me and has given me the ultimate gift. We're all created with the purpose of glorifying God, but in the unique way he has called us. Thirdly, we know we're completely accepted because he calls us his children. In Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Wow. Adoption is not just about rescue. It's about relationship. We're no longer orphans. We belong to God, our Father. We're adopted. We're heirs. We're his beloved. We're his children, his sons and daughters, lawful heirs to all he is and all he has. And he's our heavenly Father, perfect and good. Back to our first scripture in 1 Peter. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. He chose you. It's a gift. He calls you his son, his daughter. Do you know today that God has chosen you? Do you realize that he rejoices over you and delights in you? Are you living like a child of God or are you still living like an orphan? Today, God wants you to know you are completely accepted. Secondly, you are extremely valuable. When something, someone or somewhere is described as holy, it implies extreme value, that something is priceless. We have the Holy Bible, Holy Land, Holy Ground, Holy Temple. God himself is holy. But in 1 Peter, back to it again, verse 9, we're called a holy nation. We are called a holy nation. That means you are holy. You are priceless. You are of great value. God calls us his masterpiece. A masterpiece is defined as a person's greatest work of art or a consummate example of skill or excellence. It holds great value and is often priceless. God spoke creation into being, but he came down and physically created us. It was personal. He breathed life into Adam. He knew the giftings being woven into you and what part you would play in the body of Christ. In Ephesians, we're told, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But what determines worth and value? Well, firstly, who owns it? The owner of an object adds value. So whoever owned it, the more famous they are, it will probably fetch more money. So a um, bit of a fun thing here. James can pop the slide up. This is, oh, no, there's going to be guitar experts in the room. Um, this is a 1968 Fender Stratocaster. And does anyone know who that is next to it? Jimi Hendrix. So this guitar, this actual guitar, was played by him at the Woodstock Festival in 1969. And uh, I can't remember how long ago it was. Um, but it was sold to a collector who I think was of the Microsoft realm for $2 million, which is just over £1.5 million. I'm not sure that Dave's guitars or Adam's guitars, as wonderful as they play them and as how much they bless us with their gift, I'm not quite sure that they would go for quite the same amount. So who the owner is adds value. But who do we belong to? Verse 9 tells us we are a people belonging to God. The Bible says we are his treasured possession. We are precious and honoured in his sight. I'm, I hope I'm allowed to bring a Pinterest quote. I don't think it's from the Bible. But I found this and it says, once you know whose you are, then you know who you are. Isn't that good? 
Second thing that determines worth and value is what someone is willing to pay. Obviously, the man who wanted this guitar was willing to pay a great amount. But let me show you a silly example. So this is um, verified by eBay. This is a cornflake. It is. And um, it is a cornflake. Can you tell what's special about it? <laughs> You'll never guess. It looks like something. It looks like and represents the shape of Illinois. There you go. And two sisters were selling this on eBay. Again, check it out if you want to verify. And it sold to this guy from Texas for $1,350. Crazy. I mean, you can understand the guitar a little bit more, can't you? But a collector, is he collecting cornflakes or Illinois um, memorabilia? I don't, I don't know. But he was willing to pay, just a silly example, um, that money for that cornflake. But on the cross, Jesus paid the greatest cost. I thought that might get an amen. <laughs> the largest ransom with each one of us in mind. Why am I valuable? God is my creator. I'm his masterpiece. He tells me I am wonderfully made. I belong to the Father, and his son Jesus gave his life, taking my place, restoring me to God the Father, giving me the Holy Spirit helper, because I am precious and valuable to him. The challenge today, do you see yourself as God's masterpiece? Do you know how valuable you are to your heavenly Father? You are extremely valuable. Thirdly, God wants you to know you are eternally loved. God is love, and he loves us more than we could ever imagine. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, we're told, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. God's love doesn't hold back. It never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. His love gives everything. And it gave us his one and only son. At the cross, this perfect eternal love was vividly shown as Jesus bore our sins, restoring us to our Father, adopting us as his children. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He has lavished his love upon you. His love is perfect and complete. Well, what's God's love like? Three characteristics, although there's so many. Firstly, it's unconditional. In Romans 8, we're told, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us unconditionally. We can't do this as humans. Uh, you know, I love my husband very much. And um, I guess, if I'm honest, I love him more when he speaks my love language, buys me flowers, little notes. He's very good at doing that, by the way. But that's how we love, isn't it? It's so often it's conditional. But God's love for us is unconditional. We don't have to earn it. He loves us no matter what. Secondly, his love is eternal and unending. He doesn't have off days. He's consistent. He's unfailing. God's love is based on who he is. God is love. It's his character. It's of God. 
and God's eternal. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Therefore, you are eternally loved. In Psalm 100, it says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Are you grasping that yet? Thirdly, this could go wrong, this one, because are there any mathematicians? There's some very clever people in the room. Thirdly, God's love is unquantifiable. Now, once I was teaching a lesson on numbers, we were looking at patterns, we were looking at big numbers, and one child asked me, does counting ever end? <sighs> so um, we went home. <laughs> I had a Google. And uh, no, we didn't. But we talked about a Google. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, no, people have heard of it. This is terrible. I could get it wrong. So um, a Google is a large, a very large number. So if a mathematician wants to exaggerate and say a number's huge, they will call it a Google, which is, it looks like this. It's a one followed by 100 zeros. Now, if they want to say it's even bigger than they can possibly count, they will call it a Googleplex, which is a one followed by a Google zeros. Make sense? <laughs> it's sort of mind-blowing, isn't it, really? But that's what God's love is like. Even a number as big as that, and that's just one Google, not a Googleplex. Even a number as big as that is still quantifiable. But unconditional, eternal love cannot be measured like this. It's beyond numbers. It can't be tallied. Paul describes Christ's love as surpassing all knowledge. It is mind-blowing, isn't it? We can't almost understand. His love goes further than time itself into the deep recesses of eternity past. It stretched all the way from forever forward to the cross and will continue into eternity future. And God loves us with that love. Paul writes, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To be full of God and his deep love for you is to be full of everything God is and has for you. To the challenge today, do you know how loved you are by the king? Maybe you've only experienced conditional love based on what you've done. But God wants you to know today, you are eternally loved. Fourthly, God wants to say over you that you are totally forgiven. Back to our original scripture in verse 10. It says, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Your identity is no longer in your sin. It's in your saviour. God's mercy has given us his forgiveness. He knows already all that we do wrong. But when we ask, he totally forgives us. He erases it, wipes it clean, casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't punish us as we deserve. We're told that your sins, our sins and lawless acts, he will remember no more. And that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's in God's nature to forgive. He's the same eternal God of the Old Testament and New Testament. We are covered by his grace. 
it's sufficient for us. In Ephesians 1, verse 7 to 10, this is from the Message Bible. We're told this. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, whose blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds. And not just barely free, abundantly free. He thought of everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. Sin doesn't have the last word in our lives. God does. We're reminded where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Jesus received what we deserved, our punishment, and he gave us his righteousness and sonship in return. Now, this is an old song. I love the old song that Rachel started with earlier. I do remember that song, Ishmael. I went to a concert when I was very young of Ishmael, singing that song. But this one is even older. I should have looked the year up, and it is. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Do you know that one? I'm trying not to look anywhere where there might be older people. (laughs) Ray remembers. I'll just look at Ray. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. I just love that picture of God. He has given us new clothes because we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We have a new identity now found in him. So the challenge here. Is there a sin? Is there sin that you are holding on to because of fear? Do you often hear the voice of the past reminding you of something that's happened? God wants to tell you your identity is no longer in your sin, but it's in him. You are totally forgiven. And finally, God wants you to know today that you are fully capable. And maybe this will be your challenge. In verse 9 of our first scripture in 1 Peter, we're called royal priests. Now, a priest represents man to God and God to man. And this is our mission. It's our calling, our vocation and our purpose. It's to tell and show others that don't know God that they are accepted, that they are loved by the king, that they are valuable, forgiven, they are capable to fight for justice and to speak God's truth. We are fully qualified and capable to do this in Christ. Now, like me, you might vary in this department. You might feel confident in some areas, not so confident. You might feel lost. You might feel like fear is your friend, even leading up to today. um, Lots of um, negative feelings that I was feeling about bringing the word today. But um, God has just been encouraging me through people and through his word. But, you know, we're in good company because throughout the Bible, it's full of men and women who God chose to do amazing things for him and works for him. And they say, but God, I can't do that. Moses said he was under-equipped, unqualified, incapable. So often we feel like that, don't we? But you are good enough. 
we all struggle with our limitations. It might be day to day. It might be in our job, our calling, ministry. They might be physical limitations, emotional, insecurity, fear, doubting what God has called you to, comparing yourself with others, your self-worth, the pressures of life in general and time, money, the voices of others and what they say over you, health reasons, sometimes things beyond our control. But the solution of overcoming these hurdles is to look beyond ourselves, our shortcomings, and look to the one who created us, who conquered sin and death for us, who loves us with an everlasting love, and to commit these limitations into his almighty hands. Only he can qualify us. And he tells us in his word in 2 Corinthians 3. This is from the Amplified Version. Not that we are sufficiently qualified in, a, in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency and our qualifications come from God. He has qualified us as ministers of the new covenant, which is salvation through Christ, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You have something amazing to offer. Your uniqueness, your earthly identity contains characteristics that influence you in godly ways. You are the only version of you. God created you. He planned it and purposed it to be that way. He delights in you, his masterpiece. His perfect love casts out all fear. He tells us we can do all things through him, Christ, who gives us strength. God's got this. Don't let these limitations keep you stuck. Don't let the enemy hold you back or steal away your identity in Christ. God has seated us with Christ at his right hand in a place of authority. You are fully capable. The challenge here, is it time for you to walk in that authority? Maybe it's stepping out for the first time in something. Or maybe it's been a while since you've stepped out and done something, had those brave conversations. And it is scary, but God is our strength. We look to him and his perfect love casts out all fear. You know, the enemy is terrified when God's children come into the realization of who they are and what they're created to do. Because he knows if we step into our true identity in Christ, then we will walk in God's authority. How amazing is that? You are fully capable. So just to finish. If you ever feel stuck or lost, that you haven't made it, or you're not where you want to be. Remember, before you were in your mother's womb, God knew you. Before he created the heavens and the earth, he chose you. You are completely accepted. You are his masterpiece, his treasured possession. You are extremely valuable to him. His love for you is unconditional, unending, unquantifiable, bigger than any Googleplex. You are eternally loved by him. There is no condemnation in Christ. Your identity is no longer in sin, but in your saviour. 
walk in that freedom today. You are totally forgiven. We are God's representatives, fully qualified in Christ. You are the only version of you. You are fully capable. And this is how God sees you today. This is your identity in him. Shall we pray? God, we just thank you for your word today. I'm only qualified to bring it because you've enabled me, God. But I pray that the words that have been brought and the scriptures that are shared, Lord, have just spoken to us afresh today. And God, if we're struggling with some of these issues, these things in our lives that are holding us back from knowing who we are in you, then God, I pray today that they will be released, Father God, in your name, because you are the God of the impossible. God, we love you so much. We've just got um, a couple of people from the team who are going to share some words that they feel God has given them for today. So, Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.